You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is Friday, November 17th, and we enter the weekend talking Reds baseball today with Mark Sheldon, our Reds reporter for MLB.com. And Mark, oh so close uh, for Joey Votto to what would have been a second career NL MVP. They would have come uh, seven years apart, but because of a measly two points, uh, he finishes runner-up to the winner, Giancarlo Stanton of the uh, Miami Marlins. And Mark, just last week, we talked about how the uh, NL MVP vote was going to be a pretty fascinating one, and uh, was it ever between the three finalists, uh, Stanton, Votto, and Paul Goldschmidt of the Diamondbacks? And, you know, we all knew that Votto had an excellent shot of winning. You, you know, you've brought up the numbers uh, multiple times in the areas that he was superior to both uh, Stanton and Goldschmidt. But in the end, it is Giancarlo that uh, takes home the hardware, but... The separation of uh, just two points, were, were even you surprised that the vote was that close? Oh, definitely. Uh, I wasn't sure he was going to win. I, I, I think even he wasn't expecting to win going into it. But then you start looking at the numbers, and, you, and he was listening in his ear as, as the show was going on for the, the reveal of who was the winner. And, uh, and little by little, he started thinking, he's like, I may actually have a chance at this. <laughs> uh, you know, when he started hearing all the numbers that he had, and, and, and he wondered. And then to be two points shy. I mean, essentially he got a couple of fifth place votes that, that probably is what hurt him in the end. Uh, you know, but it was the fourth closest vote uh, in, in the history and it was the closest since 1979 and two points. And he was a little stunned. Uh, I think at first it was like shock, kind of a shock just to see how close he came to getting a second one. And then he kind of soaked it all in. And, and of course, as he's often is on in any situation, he was very gracious to, uh, to Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, he just, he just couldn't believe how close it was, and he. But he was grateful. One of the things that stood out to him is that he, they they both got ten first place votes, and you know he was very pleased to get all the support he got from from the writers. And um, you know, obviously, if it, one of those teams had been a a slam dunk contender or playoff winner, it might have been a, a you know less of a contest. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, you've pointed out that uh, you know by nature he's a very you know giving generous guy and very gracious uh, and like you said congratulating Giancarlo Stanton but it did it almost hurt him more to have come so close as opposed to say the gap that existed in the AL vote between Altuve and Judge would he have almost rather you know had that sort of distance between uh, himself and Stanton instead of it coming down to you know uh, an eyelash you know pretty much that's hard to say I think what he where he said that he was really glad they didn't tie. He said it would have been worse if they tied for the award, and he didn't really want that. Um, but he, he, he did expect it to be close, and he just said it was just a real experience to, to, to have it that close and come up short. But he doesn't, he doesn't begrudge Stanton for winning. I just, it, it, obviously, it's a little painful to be so close. And then you start, he, you know, you start nitpicking over maybe where did he fall short and maybe where, you know, if not, the writers were looking at different numbers. And obviously, Stan had the home runs, the slugging, and the RBIs. Votto had almost every other thing, but then uh, he also lacked in war, I think, compared to Stanton. And, and, and Votto, you know, one of the things that he really didn't do very well this past season was base running, and maybe that's what affected him. He was one of the worst base runners statistically in baseball uh, this past year, according to the 
the advanced statistics, and, and maybe that's one area where he might have to sharpen up next season because he know he's going to be motivated to try to win that award again. Yeah, no question. It would have been a cool thing to have gotten uh, the second MVP seven years apart, but uh, maybe it'll be eight if he uh, emerges on top in 2018. Mark, one thing I want to get your take on that I find kind of you know interesting or maybe a little odd is that pretty much all season, or at least the second half of the season, everybody said that if Giancarlo Stanton gets to 60 – he is a slam dunk MVP winner, and that might have been the case. But as it turned out, as we all know, he got to only 59. Yeah. He was one short of 60. And so the narrative then becomes, well, because he didn't get 60, it could be kind of a dogfight for that MVP. So I just find it odd that there's that sort of perceived discrepancy over one home run. Is, is, that, is that odd to you? Like, what, what's your take on the whole 59-60 thing? I hadn't heard that that was a, an overlaying issue. I kind of think it's poppycock. I'll uh, be honest with you, the home runs with, with Stanton was not a big needle mover for me. I was one of the voters. Uh, I voted for Votto to win. I had Goldschmidt second, and I had Stanton third. And I know it, it's kind of inconsistent to have you know uh, two, non-contending, two guys from non-contending teams sandwiching uh, Goldschmidt, who was on a contending team. But, you know, you heard all season about the, the baseballs being wound tighter and home runs were coming again at a more plentiful pace and the uppercut swings and all these things. And I just didn't – I wasn't as excited about the home runs. Even in Marlins Park, which is a bigger park than Great American Ballpark, it, it, it didn't overly move me. I think Stanton had a number of uh, criteria that he was very good at that, that would certainly be on the home runs that made him a very worthy and deserving MVP candidate. I think overall Votto still had the – was more deserving. Obviously, I saw him play every day. Uh, but, uh, no, I don't think one home run if, – if one home run was a difference for him to, to – whether he should be an MVP or not, whoever made that decision as a voter should probably not have a vote. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it at all. I, I just It was just kind of the chatter uh, coming down the home stretch of the season that if, you know, if Giancarlo gets to that mythical 60 mark, well, then you can't deny him the MVP. It was kind of the same thing a few years ago with Miguel Cabrera – Maybe apples and oranges a little bit, but they were saying if he wins the Triple Crown, I don't care how good Mike Trout's numbers are, Cabrera has to be the MVP, and he was. Uh, so I just kind of found that interesting, you know, the way that some people perceive certain accomplishments as precursors to winning or not winning a certain award. And, uh, look, Giancarlo got it by hitting only 59 home runs. Yeah, and yeah we'll, we'll see what uh, 2018 brings, certainly. Mark, when you look at the entire picture this season for Joey Votto, offensively, defensively was he better overall in 2017 than he was even in 2010 when of course he was the MVP I think so um and it, I don't have the numbers right in front of me I know he had uh one less home run this year than he did in 2010 I think he had a slightly lower batting average this year but I, I you look at the overall numbers I, I think he only played maybe 150 or 151 games in 2010 this past year he played all 162. He started all 162. That means he was batting against lefties, righties, guys that he was not as effective against, guys you know that he, that he wasn't just playing the guys that, that were you know putting him in position to succeed. He had no off days, and uh, he, he set out to do really two things in addition to what he's done in the past was he really wanted to cut down on the strikeouts, and he really wanted to play better defense. And those were two things he, he really did do very well. He had the, the best, like a 1.61 walks-to-strikeout ratio, which was – easily the best in baseball by far. Mm -hmm. And uh, he played gold glove caliber defense and lost uh, as a finalist to Goldschmidt. And I think those kind of three things, though, the games played, the cutting down on the strikeouts, kind of being back again as a, 
as the, the guy with power, he, he he'd lost some of his power in the years after his knee injury and he's got all that back. And you just, you just saw a guy who's getting older at 34 and he's admitting that his, his skills are declining, but he's finding ways to maximize those skills and, and, and evolving as a player and sharpening his skills and, and learning as he goes. And you really did see a guy that was getting better and better as the season went on. He, he really did not, allow for any of his weaknesses to be exploited this year. Yeah, and that's that's such a, a key thing for him and for any player that wants to improve their overall portfolio, if you will. And I love the old school attitude of him saying, you know, I I hate striking out and it's you know it's an embarrassment to me. I, I don't want to be that guy when the attitude nowadays is up, oh, I strike out big deal. And yeah. you know, I mean there used to be a you know, even five, ten years ago that's you know not that a strikeout was a terrible thing, but it's not something you, you just kind of shrugged off. And it, that seems to be the attitude now, with especially the, the younger players coming up. And he's old school like that. He doesn't want to strike out. It's going to happen over the course of a six-month season, but it's not something that you just you know brush aside and say, you know, big deal. It's something he wanted to uh, curtail, and he did that, among other things, in 2017, leading to the runner-up MVP finish. Mark, for all the uh, awesome Joey Votto numbers and tidbits and anecdotes and stats uh, from this past season, which one, I guess, is your favorite? There's a couple. Uh, the one that I, really stands out to me is the number 12, and that is the number of games in the entire 2017 season where he did not reach base. <laughs> he, he reached base in 150 of the, of the 162 games he played. He led the league in reaching base 321 times. Charlie Blackman was second, but it wasn't that close. So I, I just think it's remarkable that there's only 12 games in an entire season where Joey Votto did not at least get to first base. And I... That, that's amazing. I, I, I think uh, you mentioned the strikeouts before. He had only two games the entire season where he struck out three times, Jeez. and one of them was in the last week of the season. So, but I, I think that number 12 really stands out. He, he, he only missed out a very small amount of times of not getting on base for his team. You know, the idea is to not make outs, and he made fewer outs than just about anybody in baseball this year. Yeah, that, that really is amazing. And correct me if I'm wrong, he, ga- he came uh, one game shy of the all-time record for reaching base two times Twice. in a game uh, that yes. held by Ted Williams, correct? Yes, he equaled the, 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 the National League record that was by uh, Barry Bonds and, and, uh, and Pete Rose, I believe. And he was one shy of Ted Williams' 1948 record of 21 games. So he, uh, he did reach base 20 games in a row twice. Mm. He had three streaks of, uh, of reaching base of 32, 29, and 27 as well. So he, yeah, if he's not hitting, he's still finding ways to draw his walks. You know, for a while in the middle part of this decade, there was a whole big debate about Joey Votto walking too much. And I think that's kind of gone by the wayside because not only was he walking, he was getting some serious good you know, contact and hitting. And, and he's, he became a guy that was just very hard for pitchers to, to pitch around or get out. Uh, and he, he found a way to get on base every time, every chance he could. Yeah. I mean, he, he checked all the boxes this year. You know, he did not strike out you know, hardly ever. Uh, he hit for power 30 plus home runs. He got on base relentlessly, but uh, in, in the end, not quite enough to overtake Giancarlo Stanton for MVP honors. But uh We'll see what Joey Votto does for an encore in 2018. I know we're all going to be uh, having front row seats for that, and it's certainly going to be fun to watch. Mark Sheldon, uh, thank you so much for the time today. We'll do it again soon. In the meantime, Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Cincinnati Reds.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.